good to see all of you here. Really glad you decided to show up. I do want to encourage you to pray for Miriam and Joseph as they, uh, they'll be traveling back here soon from Texas. Pray for safe travels, but also pray for them as they continue to grieve over this loss. This was one of those kind of situations that I know a lot of you have been through with parents and grandparents where uh, by the end they were just praying that God would be merciful and, and take, uh, take him home soon because it had gotten... Uh, things had gotten really rough, so so they are, uh, there's a mixture of uh, relief at, in the middle of all the grief that they're going through, and so so that can be tough, so, so pray for them. I also want to let you know that at the end of the message today, Chris will be coming back up, and he's going to give you some information, some great information about the state of the church, just some things that are going on. Joseph would have done that if he was going to be here today, but they wanted to go ahead and get that information out to you, and I'll just tell you this, that uh, I'm, I'm as excited about the future of this church as I've ever, ever been in the, in the whole history of the church, and I know about the whole history of the church, all right? And I'm as excited now as I've ever been about the future of Freedom Fellowship, so, uh, so I, I hope you are as well. I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to invite people to be here with you on Sunday mornings, especially as we lead up to Easter. Um, Easter's a little later this year. It's not happening until the first uh, Sunday in April. So I want to encourage you to invite people to be here, folks that you know that are not connected to any church whatsoever, folks that you know that maybe they say they've been in a church, but you know they just say that to get people off their back, and they went one time with their grandma at, at Christmas Eve about five years ago, invite those people. And even if you know folks that used to go here that just for whatever reason they couldn't make the transition, but you know they're laying at home in bed right now, tell them to get off their lazy tails and come back here. And I had a conversation with a guy like that uh, just last week and told him that if he didn't start finding a place to go, I was going to badger him until he came back here. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do all that. Just invite folks to be here because what's happening here matters. Uh, your pastor is doing a fantastic job of leading this church, and, and I'm excited about the future of it. And there are people that need a place like this, that need a place just like this to worship and to find relationship and ultimately to be led to the truth about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, about the cross and the resurrection. And so, so I want to invite you to uh, have, uh, invite those folks here. So today we're going to be in the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 27. So if, uh, if you've got a, a, a phone with an app on it, go ahead and find that. If you've got a Bible with pages in it, just turn to the middle of that Bible and you'll be in the book of Psalms and then find number 27. There's 150 Psalms. There's a bunch of them. Psalms is a very different type of book than other books in the Bible. It's not a story that starts from beginning to end like you'll find in First and Second Samuel or in, in, uh, in uh, Genesis. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a letter like you'll find in the New Testament, uh, like in books like Philippians or, or First and Second Corinthians. It's, it's a song book or a book of poems and songs is basically what it is. And so there's 150 different psalms in there, and today we're going to look at the first six verses of Psalm 27. Now, if you go back, if you, uh, if you look at it, there's all different kinds of psalms. And so, so I, was, I was looking at this other day, trying to remember from my seminary days, and thinking, I know there's different kinds of psalms. How many are there? And, and I couldn't find any agreement in the books that I pulled out and the stuff that I Googled. There were some people that said, oh, there's like four types of psalms. One guy said there was 12 kind. Another guy said there were 10 kinds of psalms. And so there's all different but there are three main types of psalms that, that are the majority of the ones in the book of Psalms. And those are, there are hymns which, are, which were written to be sung in worship. So what we just did up here, by the way, let's give the musicians a hand. They did a great job. 
leading us. I, uh, just a, a side note here, I, I get to go around to a lot of places and, and go to a lot of different churches. For I work with the South Carolina Baptist Convention as a church planning strategist, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in churches all over this state. And I'm going to tell you just a little secret. I know this is being recorded. Um, most places, it's not this good. I'm just going to tell you that, all right? So, uh, so, y'all, so don't ever take that for granted. And, and, and so when you're out there drinking coffee and the music's starting, you're missing out on something good, I'm telling you. What, it, most places don't have that good stuff. So there, there are basically three types of psalms. One are the hymns, which we, we just sang. Uh, so that if, if in the olden days, we might call, we, we sang three psalms today. Uh, and then another one would be psalms of thanksgiving. So you're talking and telling telling God how wonderful and, and excited you are about life and how thankful you are. And then there's this big group that are called Psalms of Lament or, or what we might say Psalms of Complaining. Did you know that complaining can be biblical, right? And so, so this, there are whole Psalms in there where people are just crying out to God and saying, hey, things didn't work out like I thought and I'm pretty upset about it. And then there's a, little, there's a little smaller group of psalms inside the psalms of complaining that we're not going to talk about today called imprecatory psalms, which are where the guy who's complaining is saying, God, I want you to utterly destroy the people I'm mad at. I want you to take his babies and kill them. I mean, it really says that kind of stuff. It's just crazy stuff in there. So, there, so one of the things we learn in the book of Psalms is that there are times when we can complain to the Lord. And, and let me tell you something. God's big enough to handle your complaining. He, he's a big boy. He made you. He made the earth. He already knows that you're upset, and sometimes you can complain to him. Now, you don't want to stay in a, in, a, in a state of complaining. One of the reasons you don't want to stay in that is nobody else is going to want to be around you. I know I'm not going to want to be around you if you complain all the time. But there are times when we can lament or complain to the Lord, and this psalm today is considered a psalm of lament uh, because the guy who wrote it, is named David. Now, if you grew up in church, you probably, or even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. If, raise your hand if you've heard of David and Goliath. Pretty important story in the Bible. We've all heard of that. And uh, so David, who was a, a boy when he killed Goliath, he grew up. And, and when he grew up, he became king. And, and so there was all these different uh, great stories of David's life. In fact, there are whole books of the Bible in the Old Testament that are really about the life of David. It's what it's about. And David wrote a lot of psalms. And Psalm 27 is one that David wrote. Now, here's what I want you to know about this psalm that David wrote. It's important for us to know where he was when he wrote this. So when David wrote Psalm 27, he wasn't sitting like in his study at a writing desk. He, didn't, he wasn't at a, a coffee shop and he pulled out his Mac, you know, and, and said, man, I'm feeling inspired by the Lord to write a poem. And he wrote this out. When David wrote Psalm 27, he was in a cave. He was in a cave hiding from people who wanted to kill him. He was literally running for his life when he stopped and wrote Psalm 27. And if you want to read the background on that, if you want to take some time this afternoon, there's no football on anymore. Uh, the, the NCAA tournament hasn't started yet, so what else are you going to do this afternoon? Read 1 Samuel 19 through 31, 12 chapters of the Bible. I'm challenging you right now to read 12 chapters of the Bible today. 1 Samuel 19 through 31, you'll get the entire story about how this happened. So you have David, who, who was, well, let's back up a little bit. You have Saul, who was the first king of Israel. 
And so he was the very first king of Israel. David is a young guy who is in Saul's army. He's a warrior. And so they go out and they, they do battles. And, and Israel was having great success on the battlefield. They were winning battles. And they would come home and people would sing praises to the leaders of the armies. And they would sing praises to Saul because he was the king. But then one day Saul noticed, hey, you know what? These songs they're singing, they're, they're more about David than they are about me. And they would start to sing these songs. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And so Saul, being a man, guess what men do when they have two buddies and one of them gets a little more recognition? There's something in a man sometimes where we say, I don't like that at all. And we want that recognition. We want the fame. We want the power. We want to be the one in charge. And so Saul, even though he was in charge, even though he was the king, he begins to get very jealous of David. And so he becomes so jealous of David that his thoughts get all messed up and he eventually, he even rejects God. And he does, he breaks some of God's laws where God specifically said, don't do these things. And Saul went and did them anyway. And so then one day David is playing the harp because David, listen, David was a, a just, I mean, he had it all going on. He was a warrior. He was also a musician. He was a leader. I mean, ladies, David was the man that everybody wanted to be with, right? All, all the guys wanted to be David and all the ladies wanted to be with David. David was kind of his thing. And so he's playing music for Saul in his dining room, and Saul gets so angry that he picks up his spear and he throws it at David and tries to kill him. And it was only David's cat-like, ninja-like reflexes that saved his life. He moves out of the way of the spear. But what do you do when your boss, who happens to also be the king, who happens to also be a king of a country where he can do whatever he wants. It doesn't have to be approved by any type of Congress or any, anybody else. What do you do when that guy wants to kill you? You get out of town. You run. So David has to leave. And so he leaves. Saul actually sends an army to get David. And so David leaves. And so when David writes Psalm 27, he is hiding in a cave. There's an army encamped outside the cave waiting to destroy him, to kill him, and he's got a king back at home that hates him so much that he's going to do whatever it takes to kill him. That's what's going on when David writes Psalm 27. So I want to read to you the first six verses of Psalm 27. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Now, your situation today, I'm sure, is very different than David. I'm looking around the room, and I'm pretty confident that none of you this week had a spear thrown at you. Uh, none of you had to spend time in a cave because there was an army trying to kill you. Pretty confident by looking out. 
In fact, I'm pretty confident by looking at most of you, and in fact, most of you probably don't have to, on a daily basis, worry if there is someone trying to murder you specifically, that they're out to get you by name. Most of us don't have to worry about that. But even though we don't have a situation exactly like David's situation, we are in a world where things can really be difficult and where things cannot go the way we want them to go. And sometimes we deal with things that are completely out of our control, things that, that have happened to us that, that we have no say over, and then sometimes we deal with things that are our own doing, actually. We've made some stupid or unwise choices, and they've led to problems in our life, and now we're having to deal with that. And so I think we can learn some things from David's situation. Now, I want to... I wanna, um, uh, be honest with you today that sometimes when I'm in that situation, when things aren't going the way I want, it's easy for me to get discouraged. Uh, it's easy for me to begin to feel like God has forgotten me. And, and, if, and if, if he loved me more, then things wouldn't be the, the way they are. And I would imagine that a lot of you feel that same way when that happens. When things don't go the way you want, when things seem to be sideways and upside down in your life, it's easy for all of us to begin to think, wow, God, God just doesn't care about me anymore. He's not aware of what's going on in my life. He doesn't, he's not really paying attention. And, and one of the things that, that makes our situations difficult is, is that we serve an invisible God. God's invisible. We, we, don't, we don't get to see him physically. Uh, we, we can know he's there we, we have great faith that he's there. We, we read the word about him. We've got uh, experience with him in the past, but none of us have seen God face to face. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote when Jesus was on earth, Jesus was the human manifestation. He was God in human form on earth. And this is what Paul wrote about him in Colossians 1. He said he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. Paul said it. God's an invisible God. And so when we're in these situations, it can be difficult because God's invisible. But guess what is very, very visible is our difficulty. So what you're dealing with is extremely visible. You see it every day. You deal with it. You're opening up the checkbook, and you see the bottom line. That's a very visible number that you're having to deal with. You've got this relationship that maybe at work has gone south, and you have to walk in and deal with that person every day. That's a very visible situation. You've got some struggle in your marriage, and you wake up every morning and go to bed every night with this same person, and you know things aren't right. That's a very visible situation. But then in all of this, God is invisible. So it can be difficult. Sometimes we can easily forget that he's here. But I want you to look at the first two verses of the book of, uh, of, of Psalm 27. And look what, look what King David does here. He says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom will I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So in the middle of this situation, what does David choose to focus on first he chooses to focus on who God is not his situation what he could have said was in verse one it's dark in this cave but what does he say wait a minute it's dark in this cave but what am I focusing on I'm focusing on who God is what is God we know that God is light so instead of saying I'm afraid because it's dark in this cave he says the Lord is my light 
he begins with focusing on the nature and the goodness of God. Then he could have said, I'm, I'm captured. I can't go anywhere. I'm not free. If I walk out the, the mouth of this cave, I'm going to be killed. So I don't, I'm not free. Instead, he says, wait a minute. What am I focusing on? I'm focusing on who God is, not my situation. And God is my salvation. God brings me freedom, even though I'm in this cave. So he says, the Lord is my light, and the Lord is my salvation. Salvation brings us freedom. And then, and then the next thing I love that he says, he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Now, where David was would be considered a stronghold. A cave was a stronghold. It was a place that once you're in there, an army is not going to be able to come in and get you because you're going to be able to pick them off. And by the way, David wasn't all by himself. The scripture tells us that there were about 400 people with David in this cave. But by the way, just so you know, if you go back today and read 1 Samuel 19 through 31, the 400 people he had with him were like the degenerates of society, the last people you would want to be on your team. It was like when David got kicked out, it was like all the losers of the world said, hey, let's go with David. We don't have anything going on here anyway. We don't have to be at work tomorrow, so let's go. Let's go hang out with David. And so that's who David's army was. So outside the cave, he had the army of Israel, which had won battle after battle, Inside the cave, he has a bunch of guys that he's looking like, and he's thinking, man, I wouldn't hire y'all to do anything, and now we're supposed to fight together. And so he's in this stronghold, but he says to God in verse 1, Lord, you are the stronghold of my life. Even though I'm in this cave, I know that the real stronghold is you, that you're the one that I can find safety in. And then after the first verse, then he begins to focus on his situation. But notice what happens here. Because he's focusing on his situation after he first noticed who God is, now his attitude toward his situation can be different. So in verse 2 he says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, which all of that was true, and I don't know if they were actually going to eat him, right? But they were going to kill him. And, and he knew these guys are outside the, the cave and they're waiting to kill me. And he says, when these evildoers, when they come at me, it is they who will stumble and fall. Why was he able to say that? The reality of his situation didn't seem to bear that out, but because he had already focused on the goodness of God. And then he says, verse 3, though an army encamp against me actually was going on. There was an actual army outside the cave encamped against him. He said, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. First thing I want you to know today is this, that we can be confident that God is greater than our circumstances. We can be confident that God is greater than our circumstances. I don't care what the circumstance is. I don't care if you created it. God can, can overcome that. God is greater than whatever that situation is in your life. David, at this point in his life, he was unsure of the outcome. We know that David gets out of the cave. We know that David becomes king. We know all that now because we're looking back. David didn't know that then. He was unsure of the outcome. He didn't know if he was going to get out of the cave. But he, while he was in it, he was able to say, I know that God is light. I know that God is salvation. I know that God is a stronghold. Because I focused on the nature and the, and the character of God, and I understand those things, then I'm able to look at the situation I'm in and understand this is going to have a positive outcome. He's not going to let me die in this cave. He's going to take care 
of me. Now, where did that confidence come from? Did David just wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm tired of being negative, power positive thinking. I listened to some podcasts last night. Someone told me how I could make a lot of money in business, and now I'm ready to get up and face the day and fight for what's mine and all that. Is that what happened? No, I'll tell you where it happened. Look in verse 4. What does David say that he's done in the past? He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, I told you a while ago, David is a diverse man. He was a musician. He was a warrior. He was a leader. He was a politician. We won't hold that against him right now. That did lead to problems later in his life, though, I'll tell you that. But he was all of those things. But he said the thing that he wanted more than anything else, more than success in the music world, more than success as a writer, more than success as a warrior, more than success as a king or a leader, he said the thing that I want more than anything else, that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord, all the days of my life. Now, did he mean actually living at the church? There wasn't even a temple at this time yet. The temple had not been built. So uh, it was kind of like the days, y'all remember when we used to meet at Greer High School? You know, we just had a place that you could only be there for a little while and then we had to get out. That's how they worshiped back then. They didn't have a temple. They didn't have a place they could come to. And so he wasn't saying, I want to live in the temple. I want to hang, I want to come up here, see if Joseph and and the, and the elders will let me live up here on Wade Hampton Boulevard because I can really feel close to God while I'm in this place. No, what he's saying there is, he said, my greatest desire, the thing that I want to strive after is that every single day I am in a growing relationship with the creator of the universe. That every single day that what I'm doing is striving towards knowing him more and allowing him to change me into the man that he wants me to be. That's what he meant when he said, I want to dwell in the house. And he said, this is one thing I have asked for. So it's what he has been moving towards in the past. And then he says, and it's one thing that I will seek after. This has been the, the nature of who I've been in the past. And it's the thing that I'm going to seek after in the future. And here's how we know this is true. God himself in the scripture refers to David as a man after my own heart. And I would love for God to refer to me as that. I'm afraid that if someone said, hey, God, what do you think about Cliff Barshall? He'd say, that's a man after his own heart. That's a man after the things that he wants. That's a man after relaxation and comfort. That's a man after a lot of money. That's a man after all kinds of things he could say about me. But what he said about David was, David is a man after my own heart. And David says here that that's the thing I've been going after. That's the thing that I'm going to continue. That's the consistent path of David's life. So the reason that while David was in this cave and things were, were going against him, the reason all of a sudden he can say, hey, I'm confident that this is going to turn out for my good, it's because he had been consistently seeking after God. And one of the things I want you to know today is that consistency creates confidence. Consistency creates confidence. Now that's true in anything. So like if you, you know, if you're trying to sell insurance or something, you know, this is not, this is not like a uh, a, a motivational speech, but that still is true. That the, if you do something over and over again, you get more confident in it. Whether it's swinging a golf club or or using a, 
an iPhone. It doesn't matter. The more you do something, the more confident you get in it. But what David was saying was that, listen, I have sought after the Lord in good times. I've sought after the Lord in bad times. And his confidence today, while he was in the cave, was born out of the fact that he had consistently been the path that he was on, and now he was confident in who God was. I don't know if you, how many of you have known somebody who, uh, who had just lived however they wanted and something terrible happens in their life and then all of a sudden, as my daddy would say, they get religion. Does anybody know? It's not, they, did, they, didn't, they didn't begin a relationship with Jesus, they got religion, right? My daddy talks about that with people that he knew in business. It's like they do whatever and they get cancer and they, yeah, he got cancer, then he got religion, right? And so you've all known someone like that, where it's like they've done something terrible, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, God, now, 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 God, I I know I've done whatever I wanted to do for my whole life, but now that I'm about to die, oh, God, I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to follow you. They start showing up for church every week. They start trying to find a place to serve and all that stuff. And here's what happens with most of those people. When that goes on, they start that bargaining with God. God, if you just save me, I'll do this. And God, I know I haven't done what I'm supposed to do, but if you'll do this, I'll do this. Now, that when that happens, usually when, they, when the cancer goes away or when they get their job back or they, uh, they, they don't get convicted of what they've been arrested for, Guess what they do? They go back to doing what they were doing before because they got religion. They, they didn't get a dose of, of Jesus. What David's saying here is, this is who I've always been. And so I'm not coming to you now, God, because my life's at stake. I came to you when I was living out in a field keeping sheep and everything was peaceful at night. And it was just you and me. And I was seeking you then. And I didn't have anything to worry about. Now that I've got something to worry about, I'm still just consistently doing what I've done before. See, the best way that you can prepare for tough times that are coming is to seek God today. Right now, everything might be going great for you, and I hope it is. But if there's a a difficult time coming, and chances are there will be at some point, the way you can be prepared for when that difficult time comes is to be seeking after God today. I don't know how many of y'all have been watching the Winter Olympics. I watched a little bit the last couple weeks, and uh, there's just some cool stuff. Uh, They have a sport called um, skeleton, where you take a cafeteria tray and you lay on your stomach and you just go straight down this tube. That's what it looks like. And the reason they call it skeleton is if you fail, you break every bone in your skeleton. That's what I'm convinced of. Uh, but th- there's all kind of just crazy uh, sports in there and, and different things. But here's what I know about those Olympians. And I, I, haven't, done, I haven't watched a lot of, you know, if you watch, usually I change the channel when it comes, now we're going to tell you the sad story of this skier from Norway and how, you know, he grew up with only one leg and then one grew back and he was able to ski in the Olympics or whatever. I, that stuff, I usually change the channel when that comes on. But I don't have to watch it to know this. Every Olympian, whether, whether they're curling or skeleton or downhill skiing or skating, hockey, whatever it is, every, there's not an Olympian that competed in Korea these last couple of weeks from any country. There's not one of them that just showed up two weeks before and picked up that sport and started doing it. None of them. I tell you this, there's not one of them that just started picking up that sport 12 months ago. Just, you know what, I think I'm going to snowboard. I'd probably be the best in the world at the end of 12 months. There's none of them. 
all of those Olympians, I don't even have to read their bios. I know this. They have been doing what they do for a long time. And they've been doing it consistently for a long time. They've been waking up early and going to bed late and, and, and spending time alone and spending time with their team. They've been doing all the things it takes to compete at the highest level in whatever the sport it is. And I want you to know that becoming the man or the woman that God wants you to be doesn't happen by just running to him when all of a sudden things go sideways in your life. And it doesn't happen by just showing up and coming here once every month. You think, well, I'm on, I think I'll go to church today because it's not raining. Of course, that's none of y'all. It's raining and y'all came. I'm talking about those people that didn't show up today that y'all can talk bad about next week when they get here. But it's none of that. Where it comes from is the consistent day after day chasing after who God is and allowing him to do a work in your life. If we want to be confident in God, we do our part by consistently seeking him. We do our part by reading his word every day. We do our part by praying. We do our part by worshiping together. We do our part by being involved in life group. None of those things bring you salvation. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ and the cross. It's the only way it comes. But what happens is when we do our part, God does his part in such a big way that we can have confidence when we're in the cave, when things are difficult. Let me just say one other thing about reading God's word, about the importance of it. Uh, it is spiritual nourishment for your soul. If you're not reading God's word every day, you are starving to death spiritually. And I know you might say, but Cliff, I don't understand all of it. I just read through the book of Revelation personally a couple of weeks ago. I have a seminary degree, so I'm supposed to be smart, right, about the Bible. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff in Revelation I'm reading, and I'm going, I do not know what this means, God, but what do you want me to know from it? And he began to tell me, this is what I want you to know, Cliff, I'm holy, and I'm coming back one day. That's all I needed to know, but I kept reading it. I didn't understand all of it. Here's what, you know what else I don't understand? I don't understand how my digestive system works completely, but I'm going to eat lunch today. I can guarantee you that. So don't let not understanding keep you from reading God's word. You need it to survive. You need it to survive. And I want to read the last two verses as we finish up. So, so King David is in this cave, and he chooses to focus on who God is first, not his situation. And then that begins to give him confidence that God is greater than his situation. And the reason he was able to do that is because he had consistently sought after God his whole life. And then he says this in verses 5 and 6. It's kind of the conclusion of these thoughts about what it means to be in this cave. He says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I love that he's saying, here's what I know is going to happen. This thing's going to end one day, and when it does, we're going to celebrate. There's going to be shouts of joy. And I also love that he doesn't just say, and one day I will crawl out of this cave, barely surviving, praise God. No, what does he say? He said, 
that he will conceal me in the cover of his tent, and then he will lift me high upon a rock. And then he also says, and, you know, one day my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. So, so David's saying, it's not just that I'm going to barely survive this, that one day I'm going to come out on the other side of this, and I'm going to be stronger and greater than I've ever been by the power of God in my life. And, that's, and he's going to be the one that gets all the credit for that. Many years ago, I heard a, uh, I heard a black preacher at a conference this was probably 1997, I think, was when this was, so a long time ago. And he was talking about going through difficulty, and he was comparing it to a fire in an oven. He was preaching on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, it was you know, one of the b- greatest sermons on that I ever heard. And he was talking about the fire of the oven and how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go into the fire and how, how they came out of the fire. And, and he was talking about the, the difficulties in our life are like a fire in an oven. And one of the things that he said was, is he said that if you're in the fire, if you're in the oven, he said when you come out on the other side, he said you better give a shout. You better shout about how God brought you out of the fire. He said, because there's somebody else on the other side getting ready to go into the fire, and they have no idea if they're ever going to get out or not. And that's what David's saying. He said, when I get out of this cave, we're going to celebrate. And what I would say to you today is there are some of you in here, some of you I know your story. Some of you in here I have no idea. But there are some of you in here, you've been through a fire in your life. And you've come out on the other side because God brought you out of it. You know what you need to be doing? You need to be shouting about that. You need to be sharing that story. You don't need to be quiet about that because you're not bragging on yourself when you do that. You're bragging on God. And what people need to hear is they need to hear that God is good, God can be depended on, and God will bring you out of difficulty because there's someone else right now getting ready to go into that same situation or they're right in the middle of the situation and they have no idea if they're ever going to make it out or not. And they need to hear your story. They need to know that God can be counted on. Here's what I know today. I know that if you woke up and you're still breathing, which I'm looking around, I think most of you are. There's a couple of you that have been fighting off sleep. I'm not offended at that. We can talk about that later. You probably need a CPAP machine, and, uh, and I can refer you to a doctor, all right? It works wonders for me. But here's what I know. All of you are still breathing. If you're still breathing, God's still writing your story. It's not over yet. Now, you can't go back in the past and rip chapters out of your story. That's in there. That can't be changed. But as the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, we can all forget what is behind in our life and we can strain toward what is ahead and to reach the goal that Jesus Christ has for us. God is real. God cares about you. He's going to bring you out of whatever you are in and he's going to do it for his glory and so that you can help other people. And I want you to know today that if you're in a in a hole and you don't even know how you got there you don't even know if God's real I want you to talk to someone before you leave this place because Jesus died on a cross for you and he rose from the dead and that that's more real today than it's ever been and it's the reason we've gathered here today I'm going to pray after we're done praying there's going to be a few announcements and some things to, to uh, hear about before you leave but again 
I want you to be encouraged today in the goodness of God. I want you to be encouraged at the work that he's doing in your life because he's at work in all of your lives and in mine also. Thank you. I'm so glad he is. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise for who you are, for the nature of who you are, that you never give up on us, that uh, even though you take sin very seriously and you're a holy and righteous God, that you've provided a way out of sin through the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross. And we trust in that today. We trust in the power of the cross. We trust in the power of the resurrection. We trust in the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives that we can make it through, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day, and not just make it through, but to thrive and to live the lives you want us to live. Help us to give you the glory for everything good in our lives and to proclaim you as loud as we can wherever we go. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.